Good morning, church. Good morning. <laughs> you guys are doing well today. I have a few announcements to share with you before we get on with our worship time. Uh, if you did pick up a bulletin, you'll see them on there as well. And uh, if you want more information, like if you don't want to actually pick up a bulletin just because, you could always check out our church app or our Facebook page, and we share most of the events coming up on there as well. So August 20th, which is in a couple of Saturdays, we have uh, for the guys a triple B. Triple B stands for Bibles, Beef, and Brew. So that means you bring your own Bible, you bring your own cut of steak or chicken, nuggets even, whatever you want. And you bring your own uh, beverage of choice. Uh, that is August the 20th, 6.30. And uh, if you have not participated, I encourage you to, to do so. It's a relaxed environment. Um, we fellowship, good people, good food. Billie Jean. That almost sounds like that old commercial. Uh, but Pastor Josh then shares a little bit of uh, like a devotion time. Uh, so it's encouraging. We also have a church lunch coming up. That's a Sunday following the worship service. And uh, how that works, if you haven't participated in those, you, if you want and if you can, you, you bring a dish to share, your favorite dish or dessert. And uh, we have that after the worship service. Last but not least, we have, or the women have, a, a retreat coming up. Now, October 27th. Uh, it's not in the bulletin, but there is a sign-up sheet in the lobby. And they are trying to get a head count. So if you are uh, willing or if you are interested in participating in that, uh, look for that sign-up sheet. And I'm sure there's more information there. That's all I can share about that because I, I, don't, I don't see it in the bulletin. Uh, so with that said, I am reading Romans chapter 16, uh, verse 17. Oh, something else. I, I have it here. If you did grab a bulletin, you probably saw these on the table as well. Uh, Casting Crowns uh, concert coming up September 22nd. Uh, this is not sponsored by the church. It's just something that uh, I, I thought I would share. Uh, we do some of their songs. Ann Wilson is going to be participating. Kane is participating as well. So if you're trying to listen to some good music other than Caleb, um, it's a good, good opportunity to bring the family. So Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses. Contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. That is it. Shall we pray? Uh, Father, we are thankful this morning for your love and your grace and the opportunity we have to come together as a body, as your church, and worship you. And Lord, we ask that the uh, worship would not only please you, but that it would encourage us you would encourage us through the teaching of your word as well. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?
Well, good morning. Good morning. I don't know about you guys, but we're to the point of the summer where I get tired of just being awake. Like, I don't even have to do anything. But, uh, you know, it's coming to a close, I think, hopefully here fairly soon. Uh, there's two things I want to remind us about this morning, and that we prayed for Steve Myers, who was headed down to Houston uh, last Sunday, and his, uh, the, the actual surgery is taking place tomorrow. Um, so if you remember to pray for him uh, as he's having that tomorrow, please do that. Um, and pray for success and, uh, you know, positive identification that the, the, heal, that the issue is resolved, those kinds of things that we pray for. Um, and we're going to do that in a minute here. Also, um, this is not a prayer request, but if you think that, um, if you think that our local government is out of control on their spending, <laughs> there is a nonpartisan completely and totally nonpartisan petition that you can sign. I have a copy of it in the church office uh, that is demanding as a bunch of citizens here in El Paso that are affected by this excessive spending uh, is essentially demanding a vote. So they can't just sign like a credit card. Yes, sir. Oh, Bill put it out on the table. All right, that'll work okay. So it's not in the office, it's out on the table. Now, some people get real nervous when I talk about stuff like that. That's not politics. Uh, it's sanity versus insanity. Um, and it is not partisan. There are people that you probably wouldn't get along with having coffee with that are, that are part of this also, frankly, if you talked about political things, right? Um, so, but if you believe that that should be brought to a vote, um, that petition is there. They need 25,000 signatures. So um, if you want to do that, you should do it. Um, and uh, that's where I'll leave that. Understood? I'm not telling you that El Paso Bible Church shall sign the petition. I'm not telling you that a particular candidate would like you to do it. I'm not saying it's conservative or liberal. I'm saying sanity versus insanity you choose, right? All right. So, uh, we're, not, we're not crossing any lines. There's no line there, by the way. People pretend like they have to walk on eggshells around stuff like that. We're not doing it. Anyway, so let's pray, Okay. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness to us and your grace to us. We thank you for voices to worship you and the opportunity we have to do it together. Uh, and Father, we do pray for the, the health uh, needs in our body, uh, which are more than just one, but today particularly we remember Steve as he's having a procedure tomorrow down in Houston. And Father, we do pray for great success, great and uh, immediate uh, observation of success as well, that it would be conclusive. That that has been achieved, Father, we, we ask for your hand of comfort um, on Steve and his family, especially Janice as she's here uh, in El Paso. And Father, we thank you for your guarantee of your spirit that is with us and in us and granting us life, but also praying on our behalf when we have no words. And we, we thank you for all of those things. Father, I do pray for, your, for our time in your word today, that it would be a blessing. Uh, that it would build us up and that it would guide us and comfort us and do the amazing things that your word does when we internalize it and understand it and apply it to our lives. Father, we thank you for that. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, children, uh, I didn't dismiss you.
Kaylee, I'm surprised you didn't mention it. But you guys can go to children's church. I can usually, two things I can count on Kaylee for, remembering children's church and offering me a donut. Uh, one, I, I don't oblige. I don't eat the donut, but uh, children's church we can do. There we go. Sorry, children. That was my oversight. I'm telling you, I, I've cooked barbecue for 5,000 people before, I think, roughly. But I would forget the forks if it was up to me. The details just sometimes get beyond me. All right. So 2 Thessalonians is where we are. We're in chapter 3. So this is not a long, long letter. 2 Thessalonians is not. It was, had a specific purpose, right? Um, they were exceptional in their growth rate. And by growth rate, I'm not talking about rear ends in the seats, uh, but maturity in Christ and the way that they had committed to reproducing themselves by virtue of, of spreading and sharing the gospel, of, of serving faithfully in the church, uh, and replicating their pattern. Remember in First Thessalonians, that was what they were commended primarily for, was that they took the pattern that they had received and become the pattern for others. So just a tremendous commendation uh, for that church uh, as a lineage and a, and, a, and a pattern to be followed. But here they had been disturbed, right? They had been uh, disturbed by communication from somebody who was a pseudonymous... Then you say that, all of a sudden I had a second thought. I think it's pseudonymous. In theology nerd circles, we call it pseudepigraphal. I don't know why we call it something different, but I written under a certain name, um, the, the graphe. So then I forget what normal people call that. Um, and so, uh, but it was proclaimed to be from Paul. Uh, and, and so they're essentially countermanding what Paul had taught them about what they should expect in their life what they should be about, where their focus should be, and had told them uh, essentially that the day of the Lord was now. And that sounds weird to me because I've grown up in, well, biblical circles, dispensational circles, that we're not confused about that. But a lot of people are. They look at the world that is around them and they say, this can't be anything but God's wrath coming upon the world. And it's been coming upon the world for 2,000 years in their mind, even though that just can't be but they, they just don't take the numbers seriously. By the way, in Sunday school, we're going through the book of Numbers, uh, demonstrating that the Bible takes numbers seriously, <laughs> if nothing else, uh, and how important they are to God's promises. And when God says there's a number assigned to this, it does not mean whatever number you want it to be. But they were supposed to be comforted. And I want to extend the same comfort to you and know, and we've been going through these books for that purpose, so that we would know where we are, just like the Thessalonian church, because we're essentially in the same era. We're in the church age. We're in that time period. And so the things that Paul tells them to expect are the things that we should expect, right? So you all know the answer. What is the next thing we're looking for? The rapture. If you want to really stick it to people that don't like that word, that's fine. You can call it the rapture, the catching up, the, going, the coming of Jesus for the church, the harpazo, if you want to hang out with the nerds, the catching up of the church, so they'll be with him forever. First Thessalonians 4 is the common passage that we talk about there. So that's what we're looking for. Everything else is noise. It's static. It's a distraction. Isn't it a distraction? I'm not sure how many kids we had at our house last night. Uh, it was Danny's birthday, and we got about as many people as we could stand in the house. 
I mean, like, that would physically fit. That's what we had. How many kids did we have? 18? 19. 19 children. And that's not even counting the ones that could vote that still called themselves children, I think. And, and so we had to distinguish, right, between happy noise, which it was. It was all happy noise and unhappy noise, right? They weren't unhappy noises. The world is inundating us <clears throat> with unhappy noises, right? It's not the children playing and shooting each other in the face with Nerf darts. Yay! <laughs> Catch a Nerf dart in the eyeball and they're still smiling. But uh, the world is not like that. The world is full of violence, isn't it? And it, it is full of destruction. It's full of uh, war and rumors of war. Jesus said those were coming. He also said don't be distressed by that to his disciples. That's human history. Wars, rumors of wars, things like that. But Paul commends them. Even though they've been disrupted a little bit, they've been distracted, they're at risk of that. He says, you guys, you guys are faithful. You have largely, your, at least your leaders especially, have kept your eye on the ball. You know what's to expect. You know what's coming. You have been given and you've understood the evidence for where the church stands in terms of relationship to the last things that we are anticipating being with the Lord, the very next eschatologically significant event. That means the next thing in the future that matters is going to be being with Jesus forever. And our response to that is that we know that everything that we encounter in life can be stood firm against, we can hold fast to the things that were handed down in Scripture. No matter what comes, right? Some of the favorite guy movies out there say things like that. Whatever comes through that door, you stand, right? You don't have to know what it is. You just have to know what your responsibility is. That's where we are in history. Are you surprised when you disobey your pastor and you watch more than 15 minutes of your 24-hour news network in a day? What are they going to come up with next? Have you ever found yourself in the middle of the week reading some news article on the Internet and go, how stupid can people be, right? And they take that as a challenge. It keeps getting worse. You keep getting distracted by it. And you go, how can anybody be that dumb? And, and how can anybody survive that level of stupidity in the world? In the White House, in Congress, in the governments of the world, not just ours. How can anybody withstand that? You can. I can. Hold fast. Stand firm. That's what Paul is telling them. Anything you come across in this world can be withstood because Jesus plants our feet where he wants them and he plants his feet between us and the evil one. So we're supposed to pray for those, pray for the word of God that's going forth. We're supposed to pray for them to be delivered from those who maliciously try to harm them. That was Paul, Silas, and Timothy then. You cannot pray for them now. They're not extant. They don't walk around on the earth. They're not still missionaries. But you can pray for those who do take the word of God forth. Pray for them that they would be delivered from that. That was a command to pray. And when Paul gave them that command, he said, we have confidence that you're going to do that. 
And I'd just like to stop there and say, if somebody were to say that to us, would it be well-placed? Now, as Paul knew the Thessalonians, he hadn't been gone that long, and when he said, guys, we need you to pray for us. We need that, and we have confidence that you'll do it. If somebody were to say that to us, when our missionaries come and visit, when we get prayer requests from them, could they say that about us? Do, you have, do they have confidence that, in fact, we are doing that for them, the thing that they need from us, that we're praying for them? that they would be rescued or delivered from those who would harm them. You know, who else you should pray for is your leadership in your local church in that same way. In this climate and in this culture, increasingly, those who stand in front of one of these, whether they do it for five minutes or 40 minutes, just might as well paint a target on themselves. When we say common sense things, like there are two genders and three dudes can't be married to each other. Right? If you said, when I was born, if you said three dudes can be married to each other, you'd be put in an asylum. Right? And a lot of y'all are way older than me. The world was insane in 1978 by most of y'all standards already, wasn't it? That's when I was born. I don't usually reveal that because some people think I'm way older than I am and other people think I'm still eating peanut butter and jelly for lunch every day. So pray for it. Pray for those who proclaim the Word of God, who do so unabashedly, unapologetically, unequivocally. Pray so that people can have confidence. We're still in this final section Right, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, giving orders is not real, it's not smiled upon, right? Um, certain members of my family insist that I should always say please when I, uh, when I tell somebody to do something. I do that when I'm making a request. I do not do that when I'm issuing orders. And I do issue orders within that context. Paul felt confident in the Thessalonican church to issue a command and an order. Meaning, it, there, there's no highway option, right? You've watched the pacifier years ago. It's my way, no highway option. No, they didn't pattern that guy after me. I command you, brethren, believers in Jesus, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you avoid every brother who leads an undisciplined life, not according to the tradition which you received from us. Avoid them. Other believers. Undisciplined believers. Some people automatically insert in their heads a so-called or someone who thinks they are or a professing brother. That language isn't there. Avoid an authentic, actual, justified person, believer in Jesus Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit who is undisciplined. 
Now, if your theology doesn't allow for that kind of a, a person, then you need to change your theology, right? You need to change your doctrine, because there are a lot of people who say that if you lead an undisciplined life, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. If you don't follow the doctrines and the behaviors in the New Testament, then you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, for reals. You just are a professor, but you're not a possessor. Isn't that, that fits on a bumper sticker, but it's not biblical in the sense. These are real believers. Some of your translations will say unruly, undisciplined. Got a definition for that term here. We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you avoid every brother who is an, leads an undisciplined life, not according to the tradition which you received from us. It's a commandment for the brethren, given with the weight of the Lord's name behind it. And I get it. People, people sometimes say, oh, I, got, I got too many commands to obey. Pastor always tells me all the things that I should do. I really try to say, not focus on all the things you shouldn't do. If we do all the things that you, the Scripture says that we should do, we're going to be so busy that we don't have to worry about much else, right? Right? But this is, this is, a, this is a negative command. Avoid this person. No excuses. This is what Jesus wants us to do commands us to do and there's no contingency for it because pastors come across undisciplined people who reject their doctrine the doctrine of the bible fairly frequently and you know what happens a lot of times though those unruly people write some pretty good sized checks y'all want to just talk facts Sometimes they put a good bit in the offering box right back there. We don't know who puts money in the offering box. It's just back there anonymous, you know. But a lot of people who are undisciplined and who are there with a way too much time on their hands also write big checks. And sometimes we're under pressure to not make that person feel alienated. Oh, it's okay. They write big checks. There's no contingency for this. We don't, we don't sell indulgences, guys. Being undisciplined, being unruly, rejecting the doctrine and the practice of the New Testament cannot be made up for with an offering. No more than you can light a candle to make up for adultery, right? Y'all know that doesn't work, right? I don't ha that's actually a redundancy. I don't have to tell y'all that lighting a candle doesn't make up for adultery. Okay, all right. It doesn't. Neither does writing a check make up for being undisciplined and unruly and causing problems and rejecting apostolic doctrine in the Bible. doesn't do that. It's a command. Do this. The people who don't stand firm, who don't hold fast and are unruly, avoid those people. This is hard for people to swallow, but there are brothers in Jesus Christ that we are not supposed to fellowship with. There are believers in Jesus Christ that you are not supposed to fellowship with. You are supposed to avoid them. And if you don't know who they are, maybe it's you. Ah, oh, just kidding. <laughs> you know, they say that about every family has a weirdo in it. And if you don't know who it is, it's probably you. I'm just kidding on the last one. 
And it's not that uncommon. Churches, large or small, that are largely run around with their hair on fire have done a bad job about this. They have permitted unruliness and a lack of discipline, rejected biblical doctrine, or allowed people that do reject biblical doctrine to insidiously creep into places they shouldn't be in. It's dangerous. No comment here as to whether they're actually going to heaven when they die. Actually, there is a comment. They are. These are legitimate believers in Jesus Christ who behave badly. Very badly. They're dangerous, destructive, and disruptive. Now, I mean, this isn't that hard to understand to get wrap your head around, right? There are some people's invitations that get lost in the mail a lot to family reunions. Lost in the mail. Oops. This isn't supposed to be oops. You're supposed to wake up and make a decision. We're not going to associate. We're going to avoid people like that. It's a similar description, actually, of the caliber of people that Paul said... I, we want you to pray for us that we would be delivered from such men like this. Wicked and perverse people who behave badly and who reject truth, who reject the doctrine, the, the, what he calls the tradition here. This is sandwiched in between there. Believers or unbelievers in that case. But why, why the difference, you might say? Why, would, why don't we just, because a lot of people will tell you this, if you have an undisciplined person that Scripture tells you to avoid, no, no, don't avoid them. Just, just pray that the Lord would deliver you from that person. Have a prayer meeting and say, Lord, preserve us from that undisciplined, unruly, dangerous, disruptive individual that Scripture told us to avoid, but we're going to pray about it. You don't need to pray about it, do you? Because you got the answer, right? Okay, so two people got the answer. Y'all all got the answer. You're just shocked that I would say it. You have the answer. You don't need to pray about it. You need to pray about a lot of things. You need to avoid them. Don't fellowship with believers like that. But why the difference? Well, Paul, so Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they have an itinerant ministry, don't they? I mean, they're traveling around. They're planting churches. They go into places, and they have a pattern. Paul looks for a synagogue. If he doesn't find a synagogue in one place, he went down and he, uh, they were gathering to pray by some water there and they went down there and they did that. But the pattern is very similar. But they don't have control over their environment. Right? They don't know what they're going into. Right? It's like the, the paratroopers. We're supposed to be surrounded. Right? They go into a place. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know who's going to be there. They know that eventually they're going to be followed by some Judaizing believers who are going to disrupt and cause problems for them. And they say, pray for us. We know that's going to happen. We don't know where and when it's going to happen when we go in to start and plant a church. But that is different, isn't it? Right? Where does El Paso Bible Church meet for the congregational worship, corporate worship? Do you all know the address here? Anybody? I forgot. 5730 Saplinas Road, El Paso, Texas, 79932. We've been here since 97. 
Prior to that, I think we were over by Hobby Lobby. But we had an address, right? And before that, it was on Campbell. You can still drive. I think I drove by that building looking for some bees last week. Yeah. But we always had an address, huh? That's a little different, isn't it? We are obligated. Paul and Silas and Timothy were obligated to come in and start a work and then leave. That was their ministry. El Paso Bible Church is obligated to hold fast and stand firm where we are. Right? We have a different obligation. We have to stay here because we're not Bible Church of wherever we happen to be this week. We are El Paso Bible Church, and we are in El Paso, Texas. And people can send us mail, and they can throw rocks through our window, and they can come and (laughs) do all sorts of nasty things to us. We've had all sorts of strange things hung in our tree out front in the last few months, not weeks, by people that thought they were on our team. So we have a different way that we have to deal with those things because we're obligated not to move, right? That's what a local church is. So when we identify those who would destroy our obligation to remain here, we have to avoid them. We don't just simply pray that they go away. Yeah? Because undisciplined people who don't hold to the doctrines and the practices of the New Testament and the apostles are dangerous and disruptive and destructive. Same people, different context. We're obligated to avoid people like that and we're obligated to take direct personal action They are supposed to take it personally when you avoid them. You're not just supposed to ghost them as far as I can tell. Don't you hate that? Getting ghosted by somebody? You text somebody and now it's six months later and they go, okay. I I take it, I mean, this is a disciplinary proceeding. This is intra-family This is a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never spanked one of my children without telling them exactly why they were getting spanked. I hope you haven't either inside the family. Now, sometimes you may presume that they know, but you ought to tell them anyway. This is a disciplinary proceeding within the family that is taking place, and they need to know exactly why It is. It's because you're dangerous, destructive, disruptive, unruly, and you're a danger. They need to know. Sometimes the elders are going to do it for you. You're welcome, and please don't get angry. We may not tell everybody this is what's happening. Very recently, I had to do this, as a matter of fact. I write a letter to someone, and I said in the letter, you need to change your behavior three distinct ways. 
The letter was apparently the last communication. You need to change your behavior because your behavior is destructive. We're not talking about before I was born. We're not talking about decades past. It's an ongoing obligation. So the example that was set was different. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as an example or a model for you so that you would follow our example. What, what's the definition of undisciplined there? Largely, it's somebody who doesn't work. And the example that Paul, Silas, and Timothy set was, we're going to work extremely hard. Now, guys, I know you guys, men especially, but not just the men, you work hard. And that's why when people ask me, how is the church going? I say, man, El Paso Bible Church is doing great, doing wonderful. How do you know that, Pastor? Because everybody at El Paso Bible Church is serving. Everybody. I mean, statistically, anyway. If you just felt guilty for a second, you know, shape up. But statistically, everybody's serving. And not just that, you're, you're working hard in your life. That's important. Now, Paul recognized, silent, that they recognized that they did not have to do that. That in their particular ministry, they could receive the things that they needed uh, as a gift, essentially, from the church without paying money for it. But they chose to do that, to set an example to follow. Thing about examples, thing about examples is that people sometimes don't get them, right? They don't always follow them. If our, you know, like if our current president followed the example of our former president, we'd be in better shape, even if he didn't believe in it, right, economically. You have a large family. Some kids grab the example first. I was the oldest in my family. I had basically no examples. I was the example of what not to do mostly, how, how to get in trouble. Not everybody gets it. Not everybody has They don't understand it. They don't grasp it as quickly as other people some are just flat more rebellious than others. Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. Don't, don't, don't tell me if that's who you are. Some are slower to observe it. And there were some there like that in Thessalonica. But they set an example to follow. It says, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. It's an iterative imperfect. It means they did it a lot. Every time they gathered together, they gave them this order because they were working hard. They were probably teaching while they were working. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat. The Puritan work ethic verse. 
If he's not willing to work, he's not to eat. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. This was a repeated thing for them. See, they believed, they did believe, and Paul believed at this early date especially, that they were in their lifetime going to see the rapture. They did believe that. So somebody who didn't get the example might go, hey, man, you know, let's just chill till we go to be with Jesus, right? We don't have that long to go, so I don't have to work. I just got to wait. Paul believed that. And Paul's example was still, still to suffer hardship, even working to provide for themselves among that apostolic cohort there. And he told them over and over and over, if anyone is not willing to work, then he must not eat. And some weren't following the example. You can, you can bet when Paul spent the time to write something, to teach something, there was a problem to be resolved, either one that was anticipated or one that was real. He said, some of you are not working at all. And I used to want to go around, because my dad owned his own business. You know, uh, he, he worked all the time. That was part of our family culture, right? We worked our tails off all the time, always. We worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. I did not, I was so busy working, I couldn't see anybody that wasn't not working. That was not working. I didn't, I was like, how, do those people exist? When I was growing up, I, I didn't know anybody like that. I didn't. Did y'all did hang around with this guy? Okay, you did know people like that. Some of you did. I didn't know how it was possible. There were people that, that weren't following the example. They were not working at all. And then all of a sudden, you know, we had this pandemic thing hit. And all of a sudden, everybody's sitting in their living room watching the 24-hour news with 14 masks on. I'm just, I mean, that's, that's how it was. And all of a sudden, it was very, very blatant that many people were not willing to work at all. But somehow, we're circumventing this principle and still eating and didn't miss a bill, you know? Couldn't get evicted. Had a place to live. I was thankful my rental house burned down before I couldn't evict a tenant, quite frankly. I couldn't have survived two and a half years with a tenant getting their bills paid by Uncle Sam. And I own the house free and clear. I still couldn't have made it. Couldn't have paid the bill. Let me, you need to understand, there is no contingency to this. There's no exceptions here. It doesn't say if you're scared, you can eat but not work. It doesn't say actually if you're sick, you can eat and not work. 
It doesn't say if the government tells you you can eat and not work, you're supposed to do that instead. It doesn't say that. That is a, that, you know, undisciplined people are dangerous. You want to see an economy hit the crapper real fast? Sorry, I'm not supposed to say that. I'm a pastor. You get a substantial portion of your population, and it's huge right now, that are still riding on those coattails because they got used to it. And it destroys nations. You don't think that God's Word has application to today's life? If you have a huge portion of your population in any civilization, in any country, that is eating off somebody else's work, it's going to destroy it. It's not simply a symbol. If you're not willing to work, neither shall you eat. I told you, it's the Puritan work ethic verse here. I'm not a Puritan, but I do have a work ethic. There are no contingencies. There are no alternatives. There are no substitutions. To disobey what Scripture teaches, to disobey this tradition, the things handed down, is incredibly destructive to one's personal life, to one's society, to one's nation, to one's church. Partly because... When you have that much time on your hands, nothing good comes of it, right? That's the definition of somebody who's undisciplined, somebody who doesn't work at all. What do you do with all that time? You going to sit there and innocuously twiddle your thumbs? That's not what happens. They became busybodies. Now, that, y'all, y'all know what a busybody is? You think of uh, some 1950s sitcoms where people are chatting through the kitchen window kind of innocuously. That's not what the busybody is. That's a very long compound word, which I won't bore you with, but it's somebody who makes it their work to be up in everybody else's business all the time. That's their career because they're not working at anything else. The church can't survive a high percentage of those, and neither can a society. They just can't. There's no resolution to that other than what Scripture has commanded. There's no suggestion for resolving it. It's not a a process. It's not... It's not a matter of persuasion, right? We joke as rednecks that we're going to persuade something when I say that I'm going to persuade a bolt and I already have the acetylene torch in my hand, persuasion is done. It's going to come off. There's not introspection that you're going to just think about this and pray about it. And then you're going to slowly resolve the problem of your busybodiness and your lack of discipline in your life. Right? That's not here. That's not here.
or get distracted out of it. I, I hate that parenting technique, by the way. It works okay when kids are two, but by the time they're 12, you should stop trying to distract them out of disobedience for the most part, right? Yes, people are still doing that. In fact, they have some 25-year-olds living in their basement that they're still trying to distract out of their uselessness. Yes? Yeah? Distraction didn't work real well when they were toddlers. It's certainly not going to work well when they're adults. So Paul doesn't screw around with that. He doesn't mess around with that. He just doesn't accept that, right? He gives them a command. We hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now, such persons we command and we exhort. Now, the difference between those two things, he's issuing an order and he's calling them out. Now, that's not real popular in church culture. The idea is calling them out by name, hey, saying, hey, you lazy dude, you need to work. You need to work because you like to eat, right? We command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ. This, means, this is not optional. Jesus wants you to do this, to work in a quiet fashion, meaning don't act like you're being put upon when you're being told to go to work. It's just a normal expectation. Aren't you a little tired of that? I have all the snowflakes when Elon Musk decided that everybody had to go back to work in the office. Nuclear meltdown. Stop. Just stop. For Pete's sake. Work and eat your own bread and keep your mouth kind of more shut. It's just a normal expectation of grown-ups to work. Children, do not do this to your parents even. They are training you in righteousness by asking you to work at your home and by having expectations. It will be a lot easier for you to not be a whiny little wimp the rest of your life if you obey your parents now when they tell you to work. I grew up in an environment where my work was sometimes frequently crucial to paying the grocery bill and the mortgage. So filling up the cat water, children, is not ridiculous. Praise Jesus. Lord be praised. Amen, parents? Thank you. I knew there were some amens coming. But certainly by the time you're 35, right, 45... This is a normal expectation. Keep your mouth shut, work, and eat your own product, produce of your words. That's how you're supposed to be doing this. We command you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't think about it. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to wonder if it's the right thing in God's will for your life. You don't. That's just an excuse. Work. Favorite verse of a lot of people in my life growing up. No alternatives, no conditions, no contingencies. But I just have never seen the percentage of people, at least in this country, that have determined that they actually can eat 
and have a right to eat for the rest of their lives or for an interminable amount of time, indefinite amount of time, and never do anything ever again productive. That seems to be the expectation. They've already done it for months and years on end, somehow eating, somehow never missing a bill, and somehow having a bigger TV and a newer truck than I have. Most of them. I used to be a property manager, you know, years ago before all of this silliness. And some of our single-family residential were, were kind of Section 8, if you know, the, kind of a, a rent subsidy situation. And I would go in and even back then, 100-inch TVs and recline. I don't even know how they wanted to play this. But the, simple, the single cost of the TV would have removed them from the requirements for the program that they were in. Just the one TV purchase for one month. A little fraudulent, yes? Maybe? Lazy people are not innocuous. Lazy, laziness is not innocuous. It is not something, something that you write a funny cartoon about or a sitcom about. It's dangerous and destructive. And it's stealing from people. It is. That's why there's a command and an exhortation, not a suggestion. We're supposed to live a disciplined life, working for our own provision, working hard. And, as for you, verse 13, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. Those of you who are not complaining about going to work, to work and making money and eating your own food, great. Don't grow weary of that. That's a good thing. That is what develops large portions of our character. Even when you don't feel that you're getting compensated as highly as you wish, there is good being done in your life by going to work and working hard. Because that's at the core, right? There's a lot of people out there, well, I'm not working for no $25 an hour. I need $45 an hour or whatever. It is to your detriment to sit on your tail with that little inhibition in your life, if that's what's available. It is not better to hold out. It is better to work and to not grow weary. And adults, I know that most of y'all are on the same page with me here, but we have a lot of young people here at El Paso Bible Church that are being raised in, a, uh, in an inundation of ex different expectations, right? Work is not evil, children and young people. Work is not evil. People who ask you to work are not evil. Laziness is evil. Unruliness is evil. A lack of discipline in your life is evil. No matter what your excuse for it, it's evil, and it will do harm to you. But working hard and providing for yourself and your family will do good. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, uh, and we thank you that at least we know that we are not completely unique, that there were in times, even in the Bible, where people were doing no work at all, 
and yet having an expectation for their own provision. Father, we thank you for the command to do otherwise. We thank you for the command to not grow weary in doing good. We thank you that you're concerned with the, the days of our lives and the way that we live our life here on earth as well as our eternity. And we love you for it. We thank you. And in your son's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? We'll dismiss with a song. Set me free.